I want to read to you something that was in Newsweek magazine several years ago. It was a survey they did about miracles and healings and asked people what they believe. 85% of Americans said they believe in divine miracles, which I thought was, was great. <laughs> 79% said they believe that what the Bible says about miracles and healings is, is true. Percentage of people who have had a personal experience with a miracle, saying they have been healed or someone they love has been healed or has been a miracle, 50%. Percentage of people who say they know somebody who has had a miracle in their life, 63 Percentage of people who prayed for a miracle, 67%. To me, that was kind of low. I wonder why a lot more people, probably a lot more people have. They may not have wanted to admit it. And the last was this. They were asked, do you believe God or the saints can cure or heal sick people who've been given no chance of survival by a doctor? And 77% said that they believed that God could do that. I want to ask you this morning, what do you believe about God's ability to heal people. Well, let me, let me back that up. What do you believe about the reality of God healing people today uh, and in our world? We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. We've been in 1 Corinthians on Sunday nights, and so we're going to uh, do a little swap uh, and going to be in it again this morning and maybe next Sunday morning in 1 Corinthians and we're going to try to look at a, a very important subject. You know, some of you may say today, you know, miracles, healings, or being healed, and that's what we're going to focus on. Yeah, it's not, that's not where I am this morning. Oh, don't say that. You know why? Because that's where you could be this afternoon. This where, that's where you could be this time tomorrow. And I promise you, if you live long enough, there will be a point in your future when you're in an ICU room or you're in a doctor's office and you're begging God to do a miracle in your life or in the life of someone you love. So this subject is super, super relevant. What, and what does the Bible say about healers and healings? A lot of views out there. I imagine if we took the mic and went around the room, by the way, we're not going to, but we ask you, what do you think about healers and healings? We'd get some interesting answers. If we went out on the street in Ruston, which maybe next time I preach on this kind of subject, we will, you'd get a lot of different opinions. But what does the Bible say on this subject is what is so, so crucial. 1 Corinthians 12. Here's a first thought for us this morning. God says that some people are gifted to heal. Some people are gifted to bring healing to others. Certainly, it would be from God and through God. But in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10, a section on spiritual gifts, it begins in verse 7, Now to each one of you, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I'm going to stop right there just a second. What he's talking about is when a person becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And the Holy Spirit, one thing he does is he gives every Christian at least one spiritual gift. I believe most of us have more than one spiritual gift. Now, most of us are sitting on our gifts. We don't use our gifts. We may not even know our gifts. But every Christian has a supernatural, God-empowered gift called a spiritual gift. In verse 8, in, in verse 8 through 10, is just some of the gifts that he lists here. There's, there's about 20 listed in the Bible. But he says in verse 8, to one there's given the Spirit 
the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy. And he goes on uh, through another litany of things. Let's go back to verse 9 when he says, to one the gift of faith. Now, folks, this is very important. When he says the gift of faith here, he's not talking about faith that, that you have to exercise to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's talking about, uh, he's given some people a gift of faith to believe God and to trust God in a big way. Every Christian is called to trust God and believe God. But you may know some people who just have a, a gift, an extraordinary touch of God in their lives where, where they they don't worry. They trust God. I mean, if God told them to, to move tomorrow to Africa, they'd be packing the car this afternoon. Some people just have that kind of faith, and it's tied in with these gifts of healing and miracles here. Now, next he says the gift of, of healings, which literally means the gift of cures, being able to bring a cure to other people. And then he says in verse 10, to another miraculous powers. That miraculous means being capable of doing something. And power means having the energy to do it. Now, these three things, the faith, the cures, and the miraculous powers can involve stuff outside of healings, but they certainly include healings that God has gifted some people, whether it's a gift they have from time to time in their life with the ability to pray and trust God and that God has done miraculous things, even healings through them, okay? And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Now, you know, when you, when you sit in church and you talk about God gifting someone to heal another person, people kind of freak out. They go to one or two extremes. They say, yeah, 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 I see that on TV, and I buy it hook, line, and sinker. And the other extreme is, no, 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 that's just a carnival sham. And be real careful about saying anything's a carnival sham, okay? You, you know, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we, we always grew up thinking that that meant you rejected Jesus and you die and go to hell. That's part of it. But also blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you look at something you don't understand and that, that God may be doing, maybe he's not, but, but and, and you say, oh, that's not of God, that's of the devil, blah, 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 blah. That's a dangerous thing. Be careful about that. There's, there's extremes out here. One extreme says that a healer ought to be able to come in this morning. If you've got a big toe that's hurting you, he can lay hands on it. And if you trust God, you're going to get better. The other extreme is a theological position that says healings and tongues, and those things went out at the first century. I preached on speaking in tongues last Sunday night. It was funny. You ought to seen, you ought to seen how most of y'all look like, like that. It was really funny. You were, you were speaking with your eyes as I was speaking about tongues, but it was funny. And... There's people that believe tongues and that miracles and those things cease to exist at the end of the first century. It's called a cessationist, ceasing to exist. The only problem is, is the Bible doesn't say that. And I've certainly seen the passages where people try to justify and say, well, the Bible says, but, but, it, but it really doesn't justify that. So what, what do we do with the fact that does God actually gift people to bring healing in the lives of other people? I love what Charles Stanley said. Charles Stanley said it cannot be a gift where they can heal at will, anytime, any place. Because if they could, where should they be this morning? They shouldn't be in a church house. They should be in the hospital, correct? 
as you read through the New Testament, apparently the gift of healing was something that, that people who had it could exercise successfully at certain times. At other times, it did not happen. We'll see some examples of that later on. Uh, and, I, and I think, too, you have to understand because someone has a gift doesn't mean every time they use it, they're going to hit a home run. In Ephesians 4... It talks about the gift of evangelism. Some people have misunderstood that to think that means Christians sharing their faith. And they say, oh, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so they don't share their faith. That was talking about a preacher evangelist at that position. A guy like Billy Graham, not probably a pastor, but someone who does revivals and crusades and who has a special ability. You've probably heard people like this who who can come in and preach in a way that draws large crowds of people to faith in Jesus Christ. I have some friends who have that gift. They would not be good pastors, but they are great evangelists. And the bottom line is, though, when they go and use their gift of evangelism, not everybody in the house gets saved. So you can't discount healings either by saying, well, if everybody doesn't get saved, someone doesn't have the gift. Or if someone has the gift of evangelism, if everyone doesn't get saved, they don't have the gift. It's a balance here of not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Has God throughout history gifted people to be able to lay hands on people and pray and see healings? Yes, he has. I tell you, another uh, group I believe God has gifted to heal, and those are called doctors. You know any doctors? Come on, raise your hand. No, no, any doctors. Well, then we need to get you to one this afternoon Uh, quickly. Yes, you know doctors. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul had the gift of healing. And now, it didn't work 100% of the time in his ministry, but Paul Paul had a lot of physical problems. And you know who he carried with him when he traveled a lot? A guy named Luke who happened to be a football coach. No. Happened to be a preacher. No. He sold State Farm Insurance in Jerusalem. No. And all those are great things. And Greg Phillips said, amen. Those are all great things. He was a doctor. It was like me saying, I've got a heart problem, so Billy Smith's going to go travel with me. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? be good for me, not for Billy. Uh, that's, isn't, it, isn't it interesting? A guy with a gift of healing carried a doctor with him as he traveled. Did you know that the Bible says that your ministers should be instruments of healing in your life? Did you know that? In James chapter 5, James chapter 5, verse 14 It says, if any among you is sick, let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Elders, Baptists have always believed, elders, pastors, bishops, these are the same guys. Now, in a small church, uh, an elder may also include uh, laymen who are mature Christians, and it certainly couldn't a church our size. But as you look through the Bible, don't always expect the Bible to make Two plus two equals four cents to you, okay? Now, the Bible's not going to be radically stupid. I hear some people say, well, that's just God and you can't understand him. And it's really kind of goofy with their conclusions on that. But you can't put God in a box. God does use people to heal, okay? Here's the second thing that is a great thing. Sometimes people are miraculously healed. Sometimes people are miraculously healed. This is what you want to hear. This is what I want to hear. In verse 9, when it says that someone has the gift of cures, we mean that and we want that to mean that when the doctor tells me I've got six months to live, that I'm going to get well. 
when, when the doctor tells your husband or your wife or your family member or friend that they're not going to make it, you want there to be hope beyond that, don't you? That they're going to be healed. I want to read to you a story. This happened near Tyler, Texas in 2008. Amy Knight is a single mother with three kids, attends a church in White House, Texas. Her 11-year-old daughter, Kaylee, began complaining of, of headaches that just got worse and worse and worse, I began just to almost keep her in bed all the time. Amy took Kayla to the emergency room, and the doctor noticed on the x-ray there was an abnormality, so he said, you need to see a neurologist. Because they, didn't, they had to get on Medicaid and there were some issues, it took a while to get in, but finally they saw a neurologist in Tyler, Texas, and the neurologist did an MRI, he says there's a white blot on Kaylee's brain. And he immediately sent them to Dallas to a, a specialist. He did an MRI and a CAT scan, and he confirmed that there was a big tumor on her brain. And within a week or two, as they monitored again, he came back to Amy, the mom, and he said, Look, two weeks from now, that tumor is going to be covering about 90% of her brain. She'll be brain dead. The other option is, is we can operate. If we operate, there's a 95% chance she will die during the surgery. What do you want to do? Well, that's a great choice, isn't it? So the mama said, well, I don't want to do the surgery. I'm going to take her to church next Sunday, and we're going to give it to God, and we're going to see what happens. So the next time they were, next Sunday, they were in town. They brought little Kaylee to church, could barely walk, set her on the front pew. The pastor, Mike Fleming of the church, said all the people gathered around her that were there, they laid hands on her, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they begged God for a miracle. Begged God for a miracle. Two days later, Amy took Kaylee back to Dallas. She had an MRI done. Doctor called Mama in there, and he, he thought, this has got to be bad news. He said, I want you to look at this. She looked. She said, well, I, I don't see anything, assuming that maybe the tumor had covered her whole brain now. The doctor said, no, you don't see anything because there's not anything there. The tumor is gone. They did more blood tests, another CAT scan, another MRI. The tumor was completely gone. The doctor told her, he said, listen, I did not believe in God until now, but he, you know what he said? I want to know your God because this was a miracle. That's, that's, isn't that unbelievable? Isn't that great? You know, if we were in a more charismatic church right now, people would be saying amen. If that's your kid, that's great. 1998, Cindy and I lived in Cisco, Texas, and I had a lady named Miss Calloway, who was in her 70s. She'd been in and out of the hospital, been sick, and I had gone out of town. They called the church, the family did, and said, look, somebody needs to get over here and see her. She's fixing to die. My chairman of deacons, who I would say was an elder in our church, went over to the hospital, went into the ICU unit with her. Doctor was in with the family. Here's what the doctor told them. She's got a 5% chance of living. Now, do the math. That means you've got a 95% chance of dying. 
And they asked Delbert, they said, will you pray? Will you pray over her? Will you pray with us? Will you pray that God will do a miracle? And I'm not making this up. I would not lie in church. Four weeks later, Miss Calloway was sitting in church. That was a miracle. How many of you want a miracle? Man, if you don't, you need a psychologist. I'll see good Brandon. Man, isn't that awesome? See, here's the flip side of this, and I really want you to get a hold of this because this is the bad reality too. Sometimes people aren't healed. See, this is where people quit coming to church. They curse God. They fall away from the faith. You see, the miracle pumps us up, but then if the other thing happens, I understand Man, we fall apart. First little church I pastored, I was 23 years old. I had a little baby in my church who had been born with a lot of congenital problems, major problems. And by the time I was the pastor in the second year there, he was about three and a half, and things didn't look good. And I was living in Fort Worth, driving down to East Texas every weekend, and I got a phone call from the mom saying, some people just came over to our house and laid hands on my baby, anointed him with oil, and said he's healed. (laughs) I said, that's awesome. He died a month later. And those sorry people said to that mama, well, he's healed now. He's healed now. You know what? If there had ever been a reason to hit somebody in a funeral home, that would have been a good reason, wouldn't it? I'm not even kidding about that. That would have been a good reason. That's not the definition of your three-year-old being healed. Why sometimes are people miraculously healed? Some people don't believe that happens. It does happen. But sometimes they're not. Sometimes people don't get healed. I said earlier, the the healer or a person who may have that gift is like an evangelist. They don't hit the ball 100% of the time. But I know this too. If you look at the Bible, not everybody got healed. If you have studied the Bible at all, you know that Paul had the gift of healing. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul had what he described as a thorn in the flesh. A lot of Bible scholars believe it was a serious eye problem. And it says he prayed once, twice, three times. And I don't think that meant like right before dinner he went, God heal me, thanks for the peace, amen. I think that meant that in seasons of prayer he pleaded with God to heal him. And the Bible says God said no. God said no. Paul, through your suffering, you're going to be a greater man, and I'm going to use you in a greater way. It's not what we want to hear, but that happens. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, tucked away, is a little verse that you would probably never hear preached on, but it's got a lot of significance. This is Paul talking. He says, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Wait a second. Why did Paul leave Trophimus sick? Paul had the gift of healing. But apparently, his prayers, his anointing him with oil, his laying hands on him, he didn't get well. Folks, I can't explain this, but you need to get a hold to this. God does heal, but 
you and I can't wave a magic wand, say certain formulas, and expect God to heal every time. That's the tough part of life. How many of you remember a guy named Lazarus in, in the book of John? You remember Lazarus died. You remember that? He was dead four days. I love it in the King James. When Jesus is getting ready to bring him back to life, one of the ladies says, no, 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 he's been in the tomb four days. Behold, he stinketh. Wouldn't that be a great memory verse? (laughs) Behold, he stinketh. But Jesus called his name and he walked out of the tomb, didn't he? You remember that story? Wasn't that awesome? You want to hear something? Lazarus died later. And he didn't die of old age. You don't die of old age. Something stops working. There was a king in the Old Testament, Hezekiah, who who got the word from God he was going to die. And he pleaded with God, and God gave him 20 more years. Isn't that awesome? 20 more years, I'll be 108. That'll be awesome. But you know what? Hezekiah died. There was a guy, I don't know, do any of y'all recognize the name Arthur Blessed? Does that sound familiar at all? Google him when you get home. Don't do it now on your iPhone. I'm watching. Arthur Blessed, Arthur Blessed in the 70s carried a cross, a huge cross all over the world. When I say all over the world, I don't mean he left Rust and went to Dubai and then up into Arkansas. He went, I mean, he went to Uganda. He ate supper with Edie Amin. He went all over the world. One time he's walking through a village carrying this cross and some people bring to him a blind man. And they said, preacher, will you pray for him to be healed? And Arthur Blessed said, we laid hands on him, we anointed him with oil, and I pleaded with God to heal him, and he was healed. He was healed. He was completely blind, and he could see. Wow. Very next day, he's walking to another village. People bring him another man who's blind. And they said, preacher, will you lay hands on him? Will you pray for his healing? And he laid hands on him. They anointed him with oil. Arthur Blessed said, I cried. I pleaded with God. But he didn't heal him. Folks, I don't understand this, but I have to live with it. I've prayed for people, and I've seen them healed. I've prayed for people, and I've done their funeral. I don't understand it, but it's real. So I want to share with you, I want to share with you some thoughts on how do we approach healing? How do we approach healing properly? If you came to me tomorrow and you said, Pastor, I just got a terrible diagnosis. What do I need to do? If I went to the doctor and he gave me a diagnosis negative, what would I do? Here's here's how I think you approach healing. Number one, you've got to approach it Believing God can and does heal, okay? If, if you don't buy into this, don't bring God into the equation, okay? Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those that earnestly seek him. How do you approach God Listen, a moment of silence at a ball game may make everybody feel warm and fuzzy. It doesn't do anything spiritually. It doesn't do anything good to just go, let's look up to the stars and hum. Um, Okay, that's cool. 
go ahead. But when you want to connect with, with, with God, you connect with God through Jesus Christ, and it starts with believing that he's real and that he'll hear you and that he responds to your prayers. Do you approach him that way? Here's the second thing. Make sure your life is right with God. Make sure your life is right with God. James chapter 5, again, James 5, verse 15 and 16. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous, righteous, righteous person is powerful and effective. Folks, certainly this is not... uh, This is not the the rule, but this is important. Sin does create disease. Sin can create problems. Bitterness, unforgiveness can create junk in your life. Make sure you're never going to be perfect, but that you're trying to be right with God. Secondly, you might as well not pray if you aren't right with God. If you're taking notes, here's a verse for you. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 basically says, it's talking to Christians. You don't forgive others, that's cool. That's your business. That's your choice. But God doesn't forgive you. You're not going to have a, a right relationship with Christ as a Christian. You see, you see when, when I get the news that someone I love may die, I need, to, I need to make sure that they're trying to be right with Christ for a thousand reasons. I need to make sure I am if I want to pray and have any effect on God, okay? Pray, pray believing is the next thing. Now, it, certainly this ties in with the first about believing God is there, but it's, it's even more personal, A faith healer may say on TV, you're not healed because you didn't believe. If you just believed, you would be healed. You know who Benny Hinn is? You probably know who Benny Hinn is. Benny Hinn is kind of the, you know, the, the, the main guy, TV healing evangelist today. His father died of cancer a few years ago. And after his father died of cancer, you know what he said? I don't tell people anymore they died just because they didn't believe. But faith is a part of the equation. Very interesting. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 4 through 6, Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town. Among his relatives and is in his hometown. Listen to this next passage. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. The same story is told in two other Gospels. In one of them, it just says, look, Jesus could not do many miracles because the people didn't have faith in him. Faith is not a magic wand, but it's part of the equation. Listen, if you're approaching God and you don't believe he can or he's going to do anything, you know what? You're probably going to receive what you're expecting. 
Mark eleven twenty four says, What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive it, and you shall have it. I know there's a great balance there. Faith is not a magic wand. But when Jesus shows up at a church, or in your home, or in your prayer closet, and when you and I are dull and apathetic and unexpecting him to work, you know what? He's not going to. Pray believing. Here's another thing. Seek the help of other people. Seek the help of others. Oral Roberts is kind of the granddaddy of the healing evangelist. Oral Roberts one time at a basketball game at his university. You know what his university's name is? Oral Roberts University. Basketball player broke his arm in a game, and the, the basketball player said, Take me to Pastor Roberts. And they took him to Pastor Roberts and he showed him his arm, and you know what old Roberts said? Take him to the doctor. Good word, oral. What a terrible name, oral. How do you approach it when you find out something's bad? Man, you go to the people that God's ordained in your life. To help you, you go to the doctor. We're not going to look at it again, but the James passages, you know what? You, you ought to go to your ministers, believe it or not. You ought to ask us to come pray for you and to pray for your healing. You ought to ask your church to pray for your healing. I Honestly, I don't know anybody who has the gift of healing, but I can promise you if I, if I knew someone was reputable with that, I would go to them. I would get as many people involved in my chances for healing as I could. Listen, what God expects you and I always to do is to do our part, to do our very best, okay? And here's the last thing this morning. Trust God regardless of what happens. That's the tough thing. You see, it's wonderful to pray. It's wonderful to pray and to believe and to see somebody healed. I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. And that's what God tells us to do. That's what God tells us to do. But God wants you to trust him regardless. In Daniel chapter 3, there's a great story where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you remember the three funny named guys? They, they won't obey the king because it's going to be disobeying God. So they get thrown into a fiery furnace. You remember that? And then they come out and they don't even smell like smoke. You and I can sit by a bonfire for 20 minutes and we stink, stink for a week. They were in the fire and didn't even smell like it. What a, wasn't that a miracle? If you don't believe it's a miracle, stick your hand in a, a, the, a fire. This You'll believe it's a miracle. But I want to tell you what was said before the miracle. In verse 17 and 18, Here's what one of the boys said. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Did you get that? And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not do wrong. We will not be untrue to our God. Here's what they said. Our God can heal us. Our God can deliver us. We're going to trust him for that. But you know what? If you end up scraping our ashes out of that furnace, 
we're going to trust God all the way. That's what God's telling you and me this morning. You pray for the miracle. You look for the miracle. But you trust God through it all. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, you may need a miracle. You may need a great work of God in your life today. And I pray that for you. I would love to come and pray that with you this week at your home or to pray with you at the altar in a moment. If you're here and you're not a Christian, the greatest miracle that ever happens is when a person gives their life to Christ. Would you, where you're seated today, would you just pray with me and say, Jesus... I'm a sinner. I believe you're God's son who died for me and who arose for me. And I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart. Today, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a moment. Just a second, we're going to stand Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart. I want to challenge you to step out and come down. Talk to a minister today. Make that the greatest of decisions. Make that this morning. Maybe you'd like to join our church. One way you can do that is by stepping out and coming. We'll be down here waiting on you. You can join the church today. Christian, maybe you need prayer for yourself. Maybe for a family member or a friend. The altar is always open. We would love to pray with you. And I challenge you, Christian, to make a choice to trust God through it all. Let's stand. God leads you now. You respond to it.